You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Brayman. Today, we're sitting down with John Farragon for a special edition episode on a new topic as we continue to battle the COVID-19 pandemic, the Mu variant. Thanks so much for coming on, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. I think another important topic for us to kind of talk about quick, so. So, John, to get us started, what is the Mu variant and how did we first learn about it? Okay, so... First of all, first thing I want to say when we, before we even start, it, it's just that I don't want people to, you know, all of a sudden worry that the mu variant is bad and it's a big problem. It's it it's um it was first discovered in January 2021, but it's one of these ones that's kind of a variant of interest, at least for internationally. But you know, in, in the U.S., it, it doesn't appear to be a, a big problem yet. Um, but again, it's something that I think people are, are a little worried about. But I don't want people to think that it's out there right now because it's not. But I think that's the most important piece about this whole this whole um, this whole podcast today. So the mu variant, first of all, was discovered in January of 2021. So, so just this year earlier. Um, and it's got an alternative name of B1621. So it's B.1.621. So many of you might remember these, these numbers. There, there's usually a letter and then there's a, a number and then there's a dot 621. And there's, that's one of the nomenclature um, uh, methods that they use. But now they're using uh, Greek alphabet um, to, uh, to, to identify these. So this one is mu. Uh, it's not currently on the CDC tracker yet, uh, and it accounts for less than 0.5% of cases in the U.S. However, the World Health Organization has recently added it as a, as a variant of interest because it's mutations that are occurring in, the, um, in, in some of the areas of the proteins that are involved with, with the SARS-CoV-2 virus and how it attaches to the, um, to the, to the human uh, cells are a little bit concerning for the potential for what we call immune escape. So immune escape basically means that the, the changes in the virus, those, those mutations, can render the treatments or the vaccines less effective. And that's really our biggest concern is that we, we may potentially get to a variant where the vaccines and the, uh, the treatments, for example, the cassium, uh, devimabin, uh, the BAM and atazevimab, and those drugs may not potentially work against those those individual individual variants. So that's really the, the most important piece of this is that there is a potential, at least with this new variant, for immune escape, and that's that's really what the concern is. Okay, so what do we know now about existing COVID nineteen mutations and specifically this new mu variant? 
So, so this is the whole thing about mutations, right? So a lot of mutations, just like in HIV, they're, they're based on uh, basically G, the, the genome of the virus that you're talking about. And then there's basically changes that occur in the virus. And then they're, they're assigned a, you know, a position number of where the amino acids have changed and, and what amino acids have, have replaced different diff, the other uh, amino acid that should be there. In the in the native or or original alpha strain in this case with with COVID, so so there are um, there have been uh, different variants over time um, that are um, that have been identified and have different mutations. But there are the ones that are definitely appearing as part of the mu variant structure. I'll, I'll kind of go over really quick. So the first one is this uh, D614G. Um, so this is a very common mutation. This actually occurred very early on. Uh, in the pandemic. And if you go back and look, even some of the original uh, strains of virus um, that we that we saw for, for COVID, even the, the original, some of the outbreaks that occurred in Seattle on the West Coast, which is really, I think, prior to what happened before it got really bad in New York City, um, they were present in just about every variant. It's been present just about every variant after. Um, this variant is basically uh, leading to an increase in transmissibility of the virus. And we, we're pretty sure about that. Um, the other one that was found in alpha, the alpha variant, which also increases transmissibility, is what we call this P681H. Okay, so that's that's another number in letters that, that you can memorize or not memorize, but know that that P681H is actually part of this variant structure for, for mu. Um, this T95I is another one. Um, this is a potentially where uh, where the monoclonal antibody treatments work and possibly other antiviral medications as well. And this mutation has also been identified on, on what we call the IOTA variant, which is, um, again, further down um, in the alphabet than Delta, which is where we kind of are right now. So that T95I is, uh, may potentially change the ability for the monoclonal uh, treatments to work potentially. Uh, and again, remember, we have uh, Bamlanivimab plus uh, Edisevimab, and then we have uh, Cassie and Endevimab. So there's two different co uh, compounds. One's a little, the Lily drug is the first one I mentioned. And the second one is, is the Re Regeneron. Interesting enough, the Regeneron one actually does have, um, or the Lily one, which we stopped using, does have some activity against mild, mild Delta uh, disease. So again, don't be, just because we've, we've ruled out one group of, uh, of uh, monoclonal antibodies for one variant doesn't mean that future variants, it, they may still be effective for. So again, that's all kind of in, in flux and, and trying to figure that out. Um, the two, uh, the two other mutations that, that are, that are, um, um, that are, that affect the receptor binding domains and how the drugs actually, or how the, um, uh, the virus actually attaches to the, uh, to, to the, uh, to the, to the uh, alveolar cells in, in, the, in the human, in the host cell. There's this E44K and, and N501Y. These, in my mind, these are kind of the big ones uh, on the current variants and, and are present uh, on that receptor binding domain. Um, both of, uh, are these, of these presents are, are on most of the other variant, variants. Um, so E48, uh, E484K, that mutation is likely what leads to some of the monoclonal antibodies not working. And also this N501Y mutation has been shown to increase SARS-CoV-2 transmission. The most important part about that one is really kind of the 484K because that's the one that, that really uh, prevents some of, the, uh, some of the, um, the monoclonal antibodies that we're using for infusions for people who get sick uh, and before they get really sick, right? Before they wind up in the hospital, usually. Um, that's that's what we're using. There's also some data on some of the on some of these monoclonal antibodies, even for post-exposure prophylaxis, which we've which we've talked about. Um, that's in the guidelines now. There's another new one, which is the S67F. Now, this one 
is a mutation that's actually unique to mu. And some people are worried about this mutation because um, it may potentially have uh, changes in an area that inhibit T cell and B cell recognition of the virus. So a key piece of the body's immune response is T cell and B cell recognition. So our immune response that we have to viruses are really, really important. And the thought is that if there's changes in that area where the body is able to identify um, certain viruses, and in particular here, SARS-CoV-2, that, that the S67F mutation may potentially impair the body's ability to, to recognize that you know, by, um, uh, by T cells and B cells. So it's a key piece of the body's immune response. We really don't know what it means yet, but again, I think that's one of the reasons why this, this variant is potentially of concern. But again, I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, um, raise the alarm or create, create panic or anything. You know, we, we have the Delta variant right now. That's, that's probably just about all the circulating virus right now, at least what we know today um, is Delta. And, and mu, as I said before, at least the, the last the last look at the at the guidelines or at the the CDC website, it's about zero point five, less than one percent of the virus that's out there is mu. John, this isn't the first time we've come across a new variant of the COVID nineteen virus. Why do these variants continue to appear? Yeah, so you know, Mary, obviously you and I have had these discussions both online here and offline too. Clearly, the, it, again, it goes back to the same story. It's vaccinations, right? So again, vaccinations may not potentially prevent every single variant from happening, but we do know is that the, 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 the less virus that's replicating, the less likely you are to see um, uh, to see, see mutations. So right now, only about a third of the people in the world, uh, across the world are, are, are vaccinated. So it's no wonder that we're seeing these additional variants develop. So places where there's low rates of vaccination and where you are seeing the most transmission, that's allowing the virus to spread from person to person. And as it spreads, you get replication. And as you get replication, you can potentially get these variants and these different, uh, different, um, uh, mutations compared to people, you know, com uh, compared to unvaccinated people. This means basically fully vaccinated people are, are, will likely spread the virus for less time than people who are unvaccinated. And I think that's been shown, uh, across the board that, that your, your viral shedding, even if you do get SARS-CoV-2 and you're vaccinated, your the timing of you, uh, transmitting that to another person is dramatically lower for people who are vaccinated versus those that are unvaccinated. So again, you know, not letting it replicate, not letting it transmit to other people, I think is really the key. And, and the biggest and the best defense right now, right now we have is, is clearly vaccination. So with this new mu variant, what can you tell us about the efficacy of vaccines? Are they still as effective as they were before? Yeah, so this this is coming up too. It's even coming up with Delta. And, you know, based on some of the data we have, you know, really, we don't have any evidence to show that these that these vaccines are not working. Um, so yes, I, they are effective. I think vaccines in the US are highly effective, including against um, the major variants so far. Uh, we don't know much about mu yet. So we'll have to see. But at this point, there's no evidence, at least on the CDC website. And it's out there that shows that these uh, that the vaccines are not going to be effective for mu. I think the most important thing here is that I think one of the things that's very confusing for people is that People think that just because you've been vaccinated that you're never going to get COVID. And that's really not what those vaccines were, 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 were done or were designed to do. The vaccines were designed to prevent severe, um, um, uh, you know, severe COVID uh, illness, which basically means hospitalizations and ICU admissions and, and potentially deaths. And that's really the big goal. I think we have to make sure that we have in the back of our mind that vaccinations may not be, may not prevent us from 
from getting um, from getting SARS-CoV-2 or, or getting COVID-19, but we know that they are definitely going to prevent us from being in the hospital for the vast majority of patients uh, and prevent ICU admissions and deaths. And I think that's really a, a key a key piece of what we need to need to continue to focus on. Got it. And what can healthcare providers recommend to folks to keep them safe from this new variant and future variants? And again, it goes back to what we've talked about, right? I think we've, we've pounded it home every, every time we've talked about SARS, uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, you and I have said the same thing. It's about vaccinations, right? It's the best way to protect yourself, your family, and your community. And I would also argue now, it's really about protecting children, I think, because the ICU admissions and, and kids are certainly, certainly up, especially in those people who are unvaccinated. So part of this whole responsibility, I think, is not just to uh, our you know, we, we were worried about our elderly parents, right? Um, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, hoping that, you know, get a vaccine because you didn't want to get them to get, you don't want them to get sick, you know, even, even a year ago. Um, but now, I mean, we really have to think about kids too and getting vaccinations to prevent transmission um, to, to, kill, to children who have not, not been vaccinated. So high, high vaccination coverage is really going to reduce the spread of the virus and really is going to help to reduce um, the emergence of, of new variants. I think CDC now recommending that uh, everyone age 12 and older get the vaccine as soon as possible. And, you know, we're not talking about this today, but as, but, um, you know, many of you may be listening, uh, and by the time this post, you know, there obviously there is some uh, emerging data on younger patients as well. It's not a clear recommendation yet, but again, I think that's, that's coming and that's going to be on its way soon uh, for, for people who are potentially six years to 12 and receiving some other data down, down to six months. So again, those are all things I think are all on flux. But right now, the currently current recommendations for, for Pfizer is um, is 12, uh, 12, uh, 12 to 12 and up. Basically, you could you could get the vaccine. John, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about this very new mu variant of the ever-changing COVID-19 virus. I think we can all agree that the best thing we can do to protect ourselves and others is to get vaccinated. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaaetc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.